This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Farzi, this may be some people's favorite podcast if they watch it on YouTube. Do you know why? <laughs> do tell, Popey. Do tell. Because at time of recording, it is still November, and next podcast, this dirty mustache will be off my face. And I think people who watch this podcast on YouTube will be happy to hear that. But in the meantime, if you want to donate to Movember, check out uh, my Movember page, links on all my social media, on Twitter, at underscore Chris Pope. He's at Farwell underscore OHL. And you can make a donation to Men's Health. That's all. I thought you were going to reference the awesome studio that I am sitting in. As we record this podcast, today. it's pretty sweet, right? Yeah, I love your artwork on the board. <laughs> Hard to read a little bit, but it does say OHL Stories, the podcast, and the artwork you have put together on that whiteboard, sir. I think if radio doesn't work out for you, you might have a uh, future in design. I was feeling it. I got to yeah. say, and it, you you would never know that I did this in approximately ninety three seconds. I think you'd yeah. never guess, right? I'm doing this from work as I have typically been because our recording time kind of coincides with the end of my on-air shift at City News 570. And I like to sit in our boardroom here at the radio station because it's big, it's spacious, and it's got a framed hockey jersey in behind it. I think it all works out, right? But for whatever reason, as I work for the largest media company in Canada, our internet has just been atrocious the last few weeks. So I'm putting a ton of extra work on you. So I decided this week, I'm going to try a different room that's not quite so isolated in hopes that the internet is better. Score one for the internet, but all I've got behind me is a whiteboard. So I got in here to set up and I said, you know what this whiteboard needs is some chicken scratches in blue and red that says OHL Stories, the podcast. And then, yes, I went online, I Google imaged OHL Stories, the podcast, and there's our mugs. And I, I taped it up to the whiteboard. And as you say, I mean, so this good. is a thing of beauty. I think I might redo the bedroom like this. I absolutely love it. It reminds me of, um, oh, I'm having a brain cramp. What uh, Jim from the office, remember when he did those good news stories and he had uh, his like picture of uh, the good news uh, during the pandemic and stuff was it looked like his daughter had drawn it. And that's what I that's what I look like at the on your whiteboard. I like it. OK, uh, yeah. Jim from the office couldn't tell you. Game of Thrones. Remember his couldn't name. tell you. The Simpsons so couldn't bad. tell you. Never watched. You don't watch the office. Of and I know I tried. I just never, never really got into it. Really? I know. Wow. Go figure. I just learned a lot about you. More than you probably needed to know. Hey, <laughs> that's very you, fair. You want to know this too? I'm very excited because at the time of recording today, you mentioned uh, it's the end of November coming into the month of December. And I, two years ago, got talked into joining one of these beer vent calendar things. I don't know if you've mm -hmm. heard of one. I have. And I know you're a big Molson guy and I understand it. And I want you and Molson to continue to be successful. You know, I'm a bit of a craft beer guy. Mm -hmm. So this is a group of craft beer lovers and everybody buys a case, 24 guys. And then the organizer, the guy that runs all this, puts it all together. We get 24 different beers. So starting on December the 1st, 
every night with dinner, I get to have a different craft beer to enjoy. And the key, the key to the little game is that it can't be available in a local LCBO. So it's going to be something brand new. I'm pumped. As soon as I'm finished recording here, I'm going to pick up my case. What are you getting? I get 24 of everything. Oh, That's I the, see. It. Right? What, no, get, what, what case did you contribute? Oh, I contributed from Red Thread Brewing in uh, Toronto. Something, uh, uh, something, some Mars, and I'm forgetting the name of it. But the reason I did, totally selfish. They're making a donation of 50 cents per can to cystic fibrosis with this particular beer. So I said, that's the one I'm going for. And that's the one I went for. So (laughs) win-win. Buying a case of beer because they're donating to a charity that you help raise money for is maybe the epitome of unselfishness. Thank you. Not not selfishness, (laughs) but sure. However you want to look at it. Um, On the, on the OHL side of things, Farzi, we've, uh, We've talked about how much this uh, only playing the Western Conference and the East only playing the East hurts our chances of seeing um, an exceptional an exceptional player in this league in Shane Wright. You took a trip to Hamilton on a day off. What are you doing? Our first day off in 20 or sorry, second day off, I think in like 21 days or something. And you decide to drive to Hamilton to take in an OHL game. Do you I'm, not have a life, Farzi? Well, no, but I, I'm glad you brought that up because... In fairness, as you know, and we've talked about, and and I get it, we broadcast for the Kitchener Rangers, and I have admitted on more than one occasion, I am probably a little bit biased towards the team because I see them more often than any other team, and I grew up in the damn city as a fan of the team. But I really do try very hard to call it square, and the other thing is, I really am a fan of the Ontario Hockey League. There has been many a playoff after the Kitchener Rangers are out that I will travel to nearby markets and we're blessed in Kitchener because markets, a lot of markets are nearby to take in OHL action in other cities. And it just so happens that the lovely women I live with are also fans of hockey. So we thought we'll make it a little family trip down to Hamilton. And it worked out so well that we had the day off and I got a chance. Not only did I get a chance to see Shane, right? Cause I was pissed. You and I have talked about it, not getting a chance to see him in game action for one of the games we're broadcasting this year. He scored twice. And let me tell you about the second goal. <laughs> like you want to talk about a snipe. He had about three, maybe four tops inches blocker side shelf. And he's in the circle. And where did he deposit the puck blocker side shelf? Yeah. Like I, it just happened to be the net that I was closest to. I'm looking at it. I can see the opening. I see him <laughs> unleash the shot. I'm like, Shane Wright. So he he was two and one, and it was a four-four uh, tie. Went to a seven-round shootout, which is stupid. Don't get me started. But the game was highly entertaining, and dare I say, like more physical a hockey game than I have seen all year. And no, there was a fight right in front of you. There was a fight. <laughs> yep, there was a fight. But I mean, there were some legitimate heavy body checks, and. You know, I'm, I'm not criticizing the teams that we have seen play, but I have not seen a game with that physicality. I've seen a game with chippiness, which I would describe differently, right? The stuff maybe after the whistle, the scrum stuff. This was flat out like what I used to call, I don't know if I still can, but I'm going to big boy hockey. Like put mm-hmm. on your big boy pants, get out there and, and earn some ice. It was, that was a pretty entertaining hockey game. Did you see Cheese, former Rangers head coach Jamie Key? I did. And nice. he was, yeah, he was very kind to make some time after the game. So we, we caught up and he asked about you and I told him how worried I was because you're like, you know, 
living with your girlfriend now. You got a dog. You're, like, you're basically domesticated. So we're a little bit concerned about that. But yeah, he was inquiring about you. He, he checked in on all things Kitchener. It was great to see him. We heard his great story about you know, climbing Mount Kilimanjaro and, mm-hmm. and the, the, basically the miracle baby he and his wife, Sam just had. And uh, it was great. And then also uh, one of our favorites, cause never met a bad Swede, right? Spent some time with Andreas Carlson. Oh, great. Talked about the power play. Cause you know how he loves to design power plays. And anyway, it was great to catch up with those guys. Cause they were, I'd like to call or consider them friends in the Absolutely. game that, yeah, we got to know yeah. right over their years in Kitchener. And so all around, it was just uh, with with the exception of trying to park in Hamilton before the game. I never I've been to Hamilton for lots of reasons to see lots of things, sports, concerts, whatever. I have never struggled like I struggled on Saturday to park my damn car. But we made it, saw the game, had a great time. You, you got down there too late. I always park right across the street there, right by the entrance. There's always parking. That's what I thought. But yeah. I, the traffic, Popey, was unlike I've ever seen before. So I'm assuming it's like. Saturday of like Black Friday deals. Yeah, because that wasn't. No, you know, was that the Thai Cats game too? That could have been it too. Oh, could have been. They were. In I don't. The I didn't know. Are they that close? Yeah, they're in the semi. Well, no, no but I, I just mean, figure people coming into Hamilton, like maybe uh, downtown around the arena. Yeah. Like I, it, I was. It was a bit of a nightmare, but got to the seats just in time for the opening faceoff and enjoyed really a thoroughly entertaining game and a physical game. And it it made me think of something I wanted to ask you about. Can I jump in again? quick? Yeah, just real quick. If cheese is listening to this, don't worry. Yes, I'm domesticated, but I'll still get kicked out of an Applebee's at some point. So (laughs) because that happened, it definitely happened. So taking in the game, this is what was interesting to me as a fan, right? Even though I'm a fan of the game, we have a much different perspective and frankly, a job to do while we're broadcasting. The old school, old fart in me, and I know you like to chirp me for being old, and you're absolutely right. I'm old, I'm cranky. And that, that part of me doesn't love that there's always so much going on. Like, can we just not have a few minutes of peace or can we just not go to a hockey game? But then I also understand that in the modern age, like we're on our phones, we're looking for, we need constant stimulation and entertainment. So I got to take in the game as a fan and really take in the surroundings, all the things that happen up on the video board. So let's say this Hamilton Bulldogs organization, you're doing this really well. Like you're doing this really well. The production value on their video board was top notch. The stuff that was happening in between whistles, I, the DJ could have used a little bit of work. It was a little bit too much old school hip hop for me. I want to hear some rock and roll, but whatever. I think they do a pretty good, damn good job from the in-game experience. But I wondered from, from your perspective, how much does this matter? How much do you think this matters to attract a new fan base to the Ontario Hockey League or even maintain an existing one? A lot. Yeah? Yeah, I, I think it. Um, I think a lot of teams need to do a better job, to be perfectly honest, of finding those things that attract fans and occupy them during breaks, whether it be intermissions or whistles. And so on and so forth. That's the one thing about for anybody who's went to an NBA game. Yes. It's like there's always something. It's constant entertainment. Yes, the game is drawn out a little bit, but possession after possession, it, it might get a little slow for the casual uh, NBA fan. But you go to a game and it's just pure entertainment the entire time. I look at NLL games. If you've never been to a National Lacrosse League game, you have to go. It is by far, in my mind, the best sporting event I've ever been to. They're electric. It is such a party. It is a good time. And I'm not a lacrosse fan. 
I shouldn't say I'm not a lacrosse fan. I love lacrosse, but I don't follow it. But then you go to a game and you have so much fun that I would pay to go to a rock game or a bandits game down in Buffalo. So I think to get new fans into the Ontario hockey league and into the game and into the league, I think you need that kind of thing, whether it be stuff at whistles, whether it be stuff in the crowd and bruiser and Hamilton does such a fantastic job as the mascot, probably the best mascot, maybe outside of Erie in the OHL. Um, So I think that stuff is needed to grow the game and get more people into the building. It's funny you mentioned the NBA because I'm not a huge basketball fan. This goes back 20 years, probably. My first NBA game, I, I had no idea they played music while the game was yeah. on. So I'm like, what is this? I've, I've, underst- I've come to understand it and I've matured a little bit. But that's a great point. And, and then to that point, because that's the way it's done now, I think the 19 other organizations, since we're focusing on Hamilton, because that's where I experienced it, but take a note, like take this stuff seriously. What you're doing between the whistles, the information and entertainment you're providing on whatever video board it is that you have in the arena, take it seriously. Do it well. It's important. It is important. Absolutely. And I think it's only becoming more important as the OHL tries to get that new generation of fan and the younger fan. They're going to need that kind of stuff. Rangers doing Twitter polls during the game is going to have those younger fans in the stands that are on their phone, on Twitter during the game they can go to the Rangers Twitter account and take part in this poll that's up on the big screen, stuff like that, that uh, is outside of the actual game at hand because whistle the whistle, obviously everything stops and you concentrate on the game, but you don't want the fan just going away or turning to the person next to them and having a conversation about work or whatever, and then missing out on the actual game. So it keeps people entertained. And that, listen, if you, <laughs> it's a perfect conversation to have for our guest today, because how many times did he mention that he, the entertainment side of things as a player was what he was attracted to. So he's trying to entertain fans, and there was a big part of his game. So now that the teams are trying to do it too, I think it's extremely important. Would love to hear from you about what you think of in-game entertainment, how important it is to you, what you've seen that you really liked. Uh, Farwell and Pope at gmail.com is the email address. And hey, while you're there, let us know what you like about the podcast, what you don't like, uh, if you want a, us to find a guest for you. By all means, use the Farwell and Pope at gmail.com address for that. Uh, Before we get to our guest, and this is this is one that you're going to really enjoy, we are sure, because he is probably uh, one of the premier playmakers slash scorers this league has ever seen. Great hands on this guy. So nasty. Uh, Sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, before we get to him, the team that he once played for was involved in a trade in the Ontario Hockey League this past week. And I I think this trade, Chris, is significant for a couple of reasons. The trade sends Ben Roger of the London Knights to Kingston in exchange for uh, a second, a third, and a conditional third. So one of the reasons I think this is significant is, surprise, surprise, the London Knights are the first team to acquire a second-round draft pick in an OHL trade this year. A lot of talk about, oh, prices are low, prices are low. Well, apparently not when you're dealing with London. In fairness, Ben, of course, is a a second rounder into the National Hockey League with Ottawa. But on the other side of it, I think it's a signal and a fairly early signal from the Kingston Frontenacs who are starting to kind of find their way. I know they didn't get Zade Wisdom back, but they've got Shane Wright. It's his last hurrah because we know he's going to the show next year. Kingston is serious about building around him as best they can for as deep a run as they can make. And we know the franchise is certainly starved for that. So a couple of reasons I think the deal is significant. 
I think the biggest piece and the biggest takeaway from this deal is Mark and Dale Hunter currently sitting in first place are so confident with their team and maybe some pieces that they're going to add in the near future here that they can trade away an NHL drafted player while sitting in first place and not worry about it. Well, like the but, stones on these guys, but they expect Kirill Steckloff to be back. If not, by the time this gets released, then in the not too distant future. So there's that part of it. too. I just think you're, you're trading away an NHL drafted defenseman, 19 year old, and you're in first place. Like the embarrassment of riches that continues to come out of the forest city. Well, I'm going to touch on Mark and Dale in, in just a sec, but let's just touch briefly on that point too. In first place, you look at the, and I know like, you have your rule, and I, I subscribe to it. Until the quarter point, don't talk to me about the standings. I'm still not sure. We really still know yet, or maybe it's just me, exactly who's where and what's who, if I can put it that way, yep. in the league so far this year. But London is like head and shoulders above most of the West. You, you look at from, from first to fifth in the West is a 10-point gap. From first to fifth in the East is like a four-point gap. London is asserting themselves. Guelph is right there. Great surprise in the West. But the London Knights have 20 points more than the last place Erie Otters in the Western Conference. They are a buzzsaw again. Yeah, you look at the 7-8 like the team in the Western Conference is 500 right now, 19 points. London has 31. Yeah they've lost four times in regulation in 20 games. Like, I don't know. I'm not shocked. Like we talked about in our alphabetical trip through the OHL to begin this season, prior to the season, updating everyone on, you know, what every team has done. How many people did we have on that said, if you're trying to forecast who's going to be at the top of a conference this year, who's going to be good. You're, you're out to lunch. Cause no one knows. The only thing anyone knew was London was going to be at the top. Yeah, because they are every year. <laughs> there was no second guessing. Oh, what's London going to be like? Good. It's the same answer every year. And yeah, they're right now in my money, like from every team we've seen in the Western Conference, which I think we've seen every team but Erie now. Um, they're by, by far the best team we've seen with all due respect to the Sioux and maybe Guelph. I think they still have a couple things to work out in Guelph to be a real contender, but London by far is the best team we've seen in my mind. Well, and we saw Guelph what five times in the first twelve yeah. games with the Rangers. Like, the first six for the yeah. yeah. So it's we saw them earlier bef- than they got into kind of their rhythm that they're in mm-hmm. right now for sure. And they just beat London last weekend in yeah. in Guelph. But the, the Western Conference to me, I call it the mushy middle. Like there are a bunch of teams that are a three game winning streak away from being in the top four. Like it's just that crowded in there, but then you've got London a way, way up here. And on the YouTube video, my hand is not even on the screen anymore. So yeah, I'm up there. I'm right with you. Um, I did want to point out as well on some OHL notes. I'm starting a new hashtag Farzy on Twitter. I love it. OHL suspension. Just until the league starts tweeting out their suspensions. This way, all media members can just follow that uh, hashtag and media members can tweet out the suspension. So we all know three new suspensions came down. Oh, really? So the Dylan Robinson suspension that was eight games came with video criteria. There have been more suspensions since then because the league made a point of releasing that information. They did. There have been four suspensions since that. And I understand why they released the video on that just because it's such a large number of games, eight games. He's eligible to return December 10th. Um, And I don't think they need to do a video when you're just suspending guys for one or two games or three or four. I'm, I'm all for it. You know, I don't need a video. I said it to David Branch himself when he was on this very podcast. 
just a simple tweet letting fans and media members know that this player has been suspended. Jacob Frasca was suspended two games out of Barry on uh, after an incident on November 20th. Dean Locus out of Saginaw suspended two games on November 26th. Guelph's Ben McFarlane from Air um, suspended two games on November 27th. And North Bay's Josh Curry also suspended two games on November 27th. So if you're a North Bay, Guelph, Saginaw, or Barry fan, or if you're going to those games, Frasca, Locus, McFarlane, and Curry all handed two game suspensions. You're Just updating everyone, ev- updating everyone on the suspensions. Hashtag OHL suspension. You're doing the Lord's work, Popey. Final no, I'm point. doing the OHL's work. That too. They should send the man a little bit of, just a little bit of money. A little bit. No, just send the tweet. <laughs> that too. Yeah, save the money, send, the, send tweet. the tweet. It's perfect. Uh, I said one more quick point on Mark and Dale Hunter. Listen carefully, and I know you're going to be, to our guest who's coming up, because he makes the point, and as soon as he did it, my light bulb illuminated even brighter, in this case, because I think I'm right. He said, what Dale Hunter, as the coach, says to the media is deliberate. It's by design. I am telling you again, Mark Hunter's phone call to the league to talk about power play opportunities that the Knights are not getting at home was all designed. I don't think he even cared. He just wanted to get people distracted from other things. And, oh, let's talk about the London Knights trying to get some favoritism. It's all designed. And you fell for it. We all fell for it. That's it. Enjoy. In- I was just going to say, enjoy your game of checkers because the Hunters are playing chess. Exactly. It, it has is, been for decades. It is their world. We're just playing hockey. In it. <laughs> I, listen, we can talk. I've said it over and over and over again. We can chirp them as much as we want. We can make them be the evil being in the OHL. But if you don't respect how good they are, you're out to lunch every single year. There's no argument. Every single year, they are a contender. They do it right. They are the cream of the crop of this league. It, there's, it's London and then everyone else underneath. I'm sorry, but it's true. Whatever, st- whatever they're doing there is they're doing it the best in the CHL. I still can't believe you asked our guest coming up how much money he got paid. I, I can't believe you did it, but you did it. Why not? <laughs> everyone wants to know. I'm going to ask the questions everyone wants to know. If, if we air this podcast with Rob Shrimp and one of us don't bring up how much money were you getting under the table? That's what the fans are wanting to know. I said sure. it jokingly. He hears it all the time. And I, we both know he wasn't going to say, oh, yeah, I was given this and this and this. That every team did that stuff back in the day when it was a very uh, well-known secret, if you will, that teams were doing that. Some teams have been penalized for it. Others weren't. And I was just joking around with him. He was having a blast on the podcast. It was a great conversation. And you had to bring it up. It just goes to show that even people whose allegiances might be with Kitchener and people whose allegiances might be with London can get together some years later and sing some kumbaya. Right. Farzi, here's, here's a quick question for you. Yeah. What were you doing when you were 14 years old? Uh, oh, I'll tell you exactly what I was doing. I was watching the Dukes of Hazard and Miami Vice every Friday night. Really? Yeah. I didn't picture you to be a Dukes of Hazard fan. Oh, 100%. Huh. Loved it. Um, cause when Rob shrimp was 14, <laughs> he was putting up more than a point a game playing tier two against 20 year olds. That's pretty good. Then he played in his 15 year season and put up 93 and 49. What yeah. as a 15 year old playing tier two junior a, this guy, I've said it on the podcast far as he, but he was one of the most skilled players I've ever seen play the game of hockey. 
and for whatever reason, just couldn't put together a long NHL career. But he was the first overall selection into the OHL, the Mississauga in 02, played three years in London, won the London Knights their first Memorial Cup in 05, part of the team of the century, led the league in scoring the next year with 145 points. And his mitts were just so silky. What a thrill to watch. And this is, for my money, one of the best podcasts we've had. Stories beyond stories. And uh, if you're looking for the money answer, it's at the end. Ladies and gentlemen, Rob Shrimp. Farzi, I normally do the intro during our intro to our guest, but Rob's on the call right now. And I just got to do a mini intro introducing him because... It's going to be short and sweet. The silkiest hands I have ever seen. And I, this is a guy who was hated in, in uh, Guelph, hated in Kitchener, hated to be across the OHL just because of how gross he was. And he wasn't on their, their team. So, Rob, thanks a lot for coming out today. I appreciate <laughs> it. This is awesome. Thank you for having me, guys. I appreciate you guys, uh, appreciate you guys reaching out. And I'm happy to be here and look forward to this hockey talk with you guys. As a fellow 86, I was around hockey and around Guelph, actually, in the time that you were with London. And I remember just watching him being like, he is so much better than any other player I've seen my age. So I just, this is awesome for me. And uh, tell the truth, Popey. Rob, he was a third stringer, couldn't cut it with the storm. Okay. Just so goalie, just so you know, like you would have feasted (laughs) on him. I just want to get this clear here. Yeah. (laughs) I would have rather have you, I would have rather had you in there than Adam Dennis. Yeah. That that guy was a stone wall till we we picked him up in London. So. Real, real quick, I went, out, I went out to training camp and it was Adam Dennis and Danny Taylor. And they're like, yeah, you're not making this team. I thought, yeah, no, no doubt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah they had some good boys there. Even And when we swapped uh, McDonald um, for Dennis, like Mac was a really good goalie too. So there's always been good goaltenders through that organization, actually in Guelph. Um, growing up, I remember seeing uh, a lot. They always had good goaltending there, so. You're up. You're up against it, but don't don't hold it against yourself. <laughs> the cards are stacked. I was terrible. Are <laughs> uh, I, I want to go back to to growing up in New York before you went to the OHL. Is it true you scored 300 goals in a season? I am probably on between 350 and 400 goals. My <laughs> that was the first year I played tier Triple uh, A hockey. Um, so we played. I played on a team called the Syracuse Elite Crunch Triple A team. And we, we started traveling around playing real travel hockey. Like I played travel hockey in my hometown, but it was more like literally travel hockey, like teams within 45 minutes or to an hour of our proximity and and that sort of thing. And uh, not so serious, but that was my first year playing triple A and we played, you know, the 86 circuit. We went up to Canada a bunch, played all the top teams up there. So yeah, I was averaging, you know, between four and six goals a game at that age. So it was uh that was kind of the springboard to take me into like more serious hockey. It's interesting, Rob, because when you were in this league, the debate was happening and it's still happening today. What's the best route for a player, right? NCAA versus Ontario Hockey League. And here's a kid from New York ending up in the Ontario Hockey League. What helped you decide that that would be the best route for your development? You know, at the time in my, my life and time in my career, it was really kind of advanced for my, for my age, so to speak. I kind of skipped over. That was the 11-year-old year was my only year really playing my own age bracket from then on. Uh, 12 years old, I played against 14, 15-year-olds in Banner Major. And then the following year, the same. And then 14 years old, I was playing in the Tier 2 League up in Ontario, uh, playing for the Syracuse Crunch. Luckily, I got to stay at home. Don Kernan uh, owned that organization, and, and the practice rink was right in my hometown. So I was very fortunate to be able to stay home and play that high-level hockey. Uh, at 14 and, and take that next step. So once I got to 15, it was really 
I, I had some good success in the Ontario Provincial League, and, and I led the league my second year at 15. So the next progression was kind of like jumping up to the OHL. Um, for me at that time, I couldn't really fathom playing another three years at that junior level. Maybe I could have gone to the USHL of some sort like that, but it really seemed, you know, like that step. And, and also growing up, Tim Conley was a big idol of mine. And I, I looked up to Timmy. Uh, he brought me out with his agency at the time, IMG, uh, Mike Barnett and Eddie Mio. They, they invited me out when I was 12 years old to go uh, shoot a movie with Wayne Gretzky. Uh, it's called Wayne Gretzky's Train to Win. So since then, I, you know, seeing Timmy around my, the rink in Fulton, New York, and, and watching his path, I kind of I really idolized him and wanted to follow his steps. So I was kind of following his trail, and, and that's what we were chasing as a family as well. Once once it became kind of at 15 that year on Ontario Provincially, every OHL scout was at the game, and they were really kind of telling my mom and dad, like, he's got a real shot, so to speak. So it was uh, we were excited about that opportunity to go play in the OHL. Such a great league, and, um, you know, Dustin Brown had gone up there. We played on a line together in Syracuse, so I got a chance to see him play some games and got to go watch a couple of games in Kingston, Ontario, saw what the OHL was like. And I, once I saw that, I, I, I wanted that really bad. So it was something that, you know, I, I it was me chasing my passion and chasing my dream. My parents were very supportive of it. You mentioned Tim Connolly, obviously from New York, I'd say a smaller stature guy in height. Is that why uh, he kind of was like a guy you looked up to? He was nasty. Like he was yeah. sick. Like he was one of those guys when he was on an ice sheet and you were anybody, anybody that came in the building, you were like, Holy crap. Like, Whoa. It just, everything he did with the puck was magic. It was literally on a string for him. Uh, he could snipe it. He can snap the biscuit. Uh, I watched him on a, three occasions, break pucks right in half off the crossbar, just absolutely rifle in the snapshot. Uh, not even a slap shot. So he would, he had this, like just this aura about him and he was really advanced at the game, very skilled at the time. Um, still to this day, he'd still be one of the top skilled players in the league. Um, so Timmy was, yeah, Don Kern was our mutual mentor. And Don coached him growing up. And then Don bought the rink in my hometown, Fulton, New York. And once Don moved in there, I kind of, I came under his sort of wing and he took care of me. And, and uh, again, just Timmy was around all the time, got a chance to skate on the ice with him and watch him play. It was just, my eyes popped. And uh, as somebody I tried to, you know, idolized him and I tried to emulate what he was doing on the ice. Well, now far as we got to get Tim Connolly on former Erie Otter, right? There you go. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Rob, I got to ask, so you talk about, other teams we already talked about Guelph and Erie as a broadcaster for the Kitchener Rangers I always feel funny reaching out to a former London Knight and when when you and I were emailing to set this up I'm like listen before you stop reading I want <laughs> I, I am open to the conversation that that uh, 405 Knights team was the best that junior hockey the CHL has ever seen and of course you know back when you played the Rangers Knights rivalry was probably at its peak but because I used that as bait to get you on this podcast, let's talk about it. Some people might say Kamloops Blazers, right? Three Memorial Cups in four years. But that 0405 London team lost seven times in regulation. Is it the best junior hockey team Canada has ever seen? I mean, it's tough to say. It was very biased for me to say it was. But what we did and how we did it, how we came to the rink every night. And, and, you know, what else made it magic was the fact that there was, you know, great timing, right? The lockout was that year in the NHL. So there was like Danny Fritchie played in the NHL the year before the 19 year old year. He's playing on my line. So that was stuff like that was happening all over the place. You guys like Jeff Carter, Mike Richards, um, some of these guys that were probably should have been in the show were in that league. So it made the league very competitive, very strong. Um, that was one piece of it. The other piece of it was there was no other hockey. So it was a big story. It was, you know, a lot of people following the OHL and the CHL in general. So Sidney Crosby tearing it up in the queue and you had the dub, you had, I mean, the 85 birth year was stacked. 
um, so many studs that were in the league to, uh, throughout the CHL. So uh, it was it was a magical year. You know, Corey Perry led us. He was he was our our you know on the ice leader. Danny Sibret was our captain. He was an amazing leader in the room and kept our group together focused. So that year was magical. You know, I can't speak for the other years. I haven't seen what the, I know what the Camelots Blazers did as far as on the sheet, but I never got a chance to really watch what they did. I know they were stacked as well. Had some great players and. Um, you know, the year before we won the Mem Cup, we, we really believe that we could have won it the year before as well. We got we actually lost to Guelph in game seven at home. Uh, didn't we didn't realize, you know, I don't think we even thought we were going to lose that series. And we did. So that was that was a little bit of motivation for the next year to come in and, and not ever let off the gas. Uh, Guelph beat us, had a great team as well. But, you know, on paper, we actually had a better team. Um, so it was a, it was a magical year for sure. I think it was. I biased, but yeah, it was one of the best teams ever to, to strap it up. And, and the way we did it was pretty, pretty cool too. 31 games undefeated to come out of the gate. Um, you know, we lost that first game when there was four or five of us at world juniors. So um, it wasn't even, who knows when we would have actually lost if we were all together for the, for the whole season, so to speak. But it was a, it was a crazy year, a lot of attention and we, uh, you know, a lot of pressure, but we handled it well and showed up and finished it off against a great team in Ramuski with Sidney Crosby. If I can just follow that up, sorry, Popey, but I'm always fascinated by excellence and there's no disputing. Again, seven losses in regulation. As a team, Rob, when you're going into every game, you obviously expect to win and the opposition is up for you. How do you maintain that focus? What goes on in the room? So you guys are going out there and delivering on 50, 59 regular season wins. Yeah, that's that was the magic of it. We showed up every night and everybody, you know, there's nights, obviously not everybody's going at the same time some nights, but, you know, wherever someone was lacking, so to speak, or having an off night, there was someone there to pick them up. So we had a, a great group. Um, again, Danny Sivret being a great leader when things were going a little bit sideways, he knew when to talk and when to step up and say something. Um, obviously, Dale Hunter's an amazing coach. Uh, knows how to win games. So he would, you know, he picked up on certain things and coaching moves that he made as a player. You you were like, wow, this guy's really in tune with the game. You know, he, he made line changes at the right time. It wasn't just to create chaos and you're playing with someone. It was like very strategic. And when he made a coaching move, it was, it landed, you know, he changed the line next shift. That line would go out and score a goal. You're like, you know, whatever. He throw Presti up on our line. We need a little more physicality. Presti go out and bury somebody. We'd get the puck and score a goal, like that kind of stuff. So just the whole, everything about it, you know, again, from the, from the boys that strapped it up with the pads to the coaching staff and how they treated us and how they, they managed the bench. Um, we, we came every night, like you mentioned before, but we, we came with the expectation when we, we truly believe we were going to win. We, we never th- thought for a second we were going to lose a game. So we came there with a lot of confidence and, you know, it's one thing to think it, but then we would go out and produce it as well. We had some really big wins too. We were blowing teams out of the water, 14-1, you know, 12-2 scores like that. So, we really uh, we were competitive and, and we weren't going to be taken away because, again, the year before, the core group of guys that were back for this next season had gone through that Guelph pain and that that Guelph loss. So that was kind of that fuel that was really behind uh, the push, so to speak. We weren't going to let off the gas. We didn't care if it was 10 nothing. We were going to go for 15 and, and we were going to prove that we weren't going to lose this year. Um, so it was it was really cool. Honestly, you mentioned Crosby. What did you think of him at that Memorial Cup? Yeah, he was, he was unbelievable. He was everything he was touted to be. uh, And then some, you know, I told a story recently that we never really had our backs against the rope during the year. And we played that first game against Ramuski in the first 10 minutes, we were down three, nothing. And it was three unbelievable hockey plays by Crosby, like three plays that nobody can get in trouble for. It's not like somebody missed an assignment or whatever. He just made three amazing hockey plays. 
And for me, I got a chance to play against him in the NHL a bunch with the Islanders playing Pittsburgh. The same stuff happened in the NHL. <laughs> I remember the one year that I was there, he scored, I think it was in four games, he had 17 points. And out of the 17 points, there was two missed assignments. The rest of the points, it was like, we watch video, you break it down, dissect it, and nobody was out of place. He just made an unbelievable hockey play. So Sydney did that that year in the Mem Cup. And luckily, we caught our breath after that going down 3 nothing. We climbed back and ended up winning that game 4-3 in overtime. I thought scored an absolute snipe, top shelf, uh, something he wasn't really known for, but he stepped up to the plate in overtime and went top shelf. So, But Crosby was amazing. He, he really was. He was a one-man show. Um, had some great supporting cast with him, but he drove the boat for that team and he almost got him to a Mem Cup. So that's, it's pretty, that's pretty powerful. We were talking earlier about the goaltending pedigree in Guelph and how they had gotten the better of you the year prior, the next year, the year that you go on to the Memorial Cup, obviously London trades for Adam Dennis. What did it mean to you as a team when Adam Dennis suddenly joined the London Knights? It was, uh, it was, you know, it was great. I mean, he was such a, a great goalie. The one game that we had a tie against, we outshot them like 50-something to maybe around the 18 to 20 range was the out number of shots, and Denny stood on his head. So we kind of knew what he had, what his capabilities were. Um, he's a high-end goaltender. He showed up for the big game. So it was exciting. You know, at the same time, I was really close with Ryan McDonald. It was tough to see a friend and a really close friend like that go in. And Ryan McDonald was an absolute stunning goalie as well. He, he could stand on his head, steal games. So it was almost like we we're trading one for one. But Denny having won that year before and been in the, you know, we kind of felt like we were getting that experience as a team. And he came in and fit right into London. He was an amazing guy, uh, amazing guy in the locker room. And then even uh, you know, on the ice, he could make some absolute brilliant saves. So he, he gave us a lot of support and, and comfort back there. And uh, we really felt like we added the last piece that we really needed. You know, we got him and Dan Girardi. Those are two great, great pieces. Um, they really bolstered our roster and made us kind of solidified. At that point, we didn't have any weak points. Uh, we had toughness, Kelly Thompson, Brandon Prust, you know, a bunch of guys, Mark Mathot. We had skill with a bunch of guys up front, and the back end was solid. could be we had, you know, Danny Sabret, Girardi, uh, um, why I'm drawing a blank. Rodney, um, he was a high offensive defense, and we, we were stacked. Mathot, we pretty much had all the pieces, so – uh, just a matter of showing up at that point. It's almost laughable when you go down that roster. <laughs> no kidding. That is disgusting. <laughs> like, no wonder you lost seven games in regulation. <laughs> I actually texted Denny today. Uh, he hasn't read it yet. I was trying to get some dirt on you, but ho- apparently he's busy being a general manager or something. Snooping, I don't know. You're snooping? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, give you, I'll give you the goods. <laughs> um, uh, obviously, he comes over and you, you guys, when, when that trade is made, is there text around the team that it's like, oh boy, now this is like the missing piece kind of thing? No, not really, to be honest with you. We just showed up to the rink and, and, and really his cell phones weren't that big then. So yeah. <laughs> we weren't really texting that much. We had a couple of guys got a couple of free phones for doing the Bell, Bell uh, Hockey Academy stuff. So we were all jealous of those guys. None of us had phones. So it's actually a pleasant time in the world at that point. You could just be present in the world and show up to the rink. And when you're at the rink, you're with the boys and you know, later on in my career, so you go to the rink and it's not 20 guys with phones out doing whatever they're doing. But um, when Denny showed up, it was it was just business as casual or business as normal. And, and now we got a You know, now we got a great goaltender. We already had, you know, like I said, Ryan McDonald, nothing against him. Uh, Denny came in the room and it was we had a team. It's not like we were ever in this position to be like, we need a goaltender. You know what I mean? We 
that was a move that the general, you know, the general manager made, the team made. They thought that they could bolster that position. They did. They they thought they made an upgrade. They did. Then he was unbelievable. So for us as a team, we weren't ever concerned about that. So uh, it was just kind of something like, all right, check, see how we see how we do it, Denny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Welcome. See how we do it here in London. And I think he loved it. And you know, again, he fit right in the locker room. He's a great guy. He's, he he loves you know, kind of. Uh, he's got a great sense of humor. And then he's out there making ten bell saves, and you're like, you know, he he gained our respect really quick. So. It was a, a very good fit, very quick. Okay, if you're going to give us the goods, let's get into this one then. Going back to that London-Kitchener rivalry, you mentioned the names before of some of the, so many great players in the league at the time for a variety of reasons. But when you mentioned Mike Richards' name and Corey Perry's name, I couldn't help but think to that playoff series between London and Kitchener. I'm pretty sure it was that year, right, where at the end of the game, yeah. Perry, Richards, it kind of starts in the corner of one end. It ends up pretty much at center ice. And they're going to go. This stuff is on YouTube. Fans in Kitchener still talk about it. What was it like from the London perspective, especially as you not involved in the fight, but watching Corey Perry about to do this? Yeah, I know we were proud of our brother to step up because the game before Richie did the same crap. He was at the end of the game, like absolutely raking on Pears' back with cross checks. They were losing. So he figured he'd go, he tried to stir the pot with Pears. And uh, nothing came of that one. And this was the second time he did it. So once Paris started skating the center ice, we were all, we were pumped. You know, it's two guys. These guys played out of the World Junior Championship team together just that season. Um, it just shows the, the character of both players that whenever they're on their team, they're going to lay it all the line for their team. Both unbelievable leaders. Uh, to see two guys that are high-level guys like that go to center ice and say, we're going to dance, uh, it pumped up both teams. You know, and I think, you know, biased, but Paris got the better in that fight. He Richie tried to lunge in and Paris hit him with one. And they, I think Paris started even laughing. He hit him with one and Richie stumbled and then Paris is laughing. It, it kind of, I don't know, in that moment, it was so, again, what the, what it uh, symbolized both of our, both team studs going to center ice and saying what, you know, winner take all, so to speak, uh, it's, again, spoke to both of their characters and for both teams, it meant a lot. Uh, you know, you know, your studs and, and leaders going to show up and, and answer the bell, so to speak. In a playoff series, it's huge. You know, momentum is the biggest thing you're looking for in a playoff series. We already had momentum, but if we needed any more, that was that was the nail in the coffin for us because it pumped us up and it pissed us off that Richie was going to keep going after Paris. So Paris answered the bell for himself. Usually, Prusty was great at stepping in there. Kelly Thompson would grab that guy and and not you know have have our leading scorer have to do his his own stuff like that. But Paris answered the bell and and it was awesome. So I think everybody involved loved it. It was. It's entertaining, you know? It really is. Worms now 36, still getting it done in the NHL. No signs of slowing down. Probably another couple cups, maybe a world championship. Who knows? This guy wins wherever he goes. What yeah. was Worm really like, though? Because he was hated around a lot of hockey circles. <laughs> he, was, he was awesome. Yeah, he was great. He was honestly uh, – I sat right in front of him on the bus. We joked around a ton, always playing around and, you know, kind of keeping it easy. But when it came game time, he was he was the most focused guy he had so much going on before the game as far as like rituals, getting dialed in, visualization. He'd go out and do some things before the game. He had a lot of, uh, I don't want to call him superstitions, but I guess his routine <laughs> was <laughs> a little bit, you know, it almost got to the point too where we, I, you know, probably shouldn't have, but I started screwing with him. Like he did this one thing where he'd come in the room and he would like jump through the doorway and like touch the top thing. So a couple of times I would stack the goalie's pad so he couldn't jump over. <laughs> he couldn't jump through. He gets so pissed off. He'd go out and light it up anyways. But um, 
Yeah, it was, he was uh, super intense and such a competitor when it came to hockey time. Uh, outside of that, though, as a guy, he was awesome. You know, loved, we, we had a great time. As a team, we all bonded great, and Paris was a big part of that. So um, really good dude. And, again, having that bond away from the game and we're away from the rink, that just solidifies it. Then when we show up and the guy shows up like he did, like he was an absolute stud that year. He was, you know, sorry for the Kitchener Rangers, but be, I don't know how many times he toe-dragged Boris Flavik and went shelf um, too many times to count, but <laughs> he was, he was on fire that year. Um, so he was, he was a, you know, absolute competitor and a, and a great teammate, great friend. So worms, we called him P head back then. Now he's worm. He got a new nickname in the show. What so, did you call him? We, we call him P head. Yeah. Why? <laughs> yeah, it was just, it just, it kind of fit, you know, he hadn't grown <laughs> in his body yet at that point. And his last name's P and we just threw it on there, you know, nothing. He he, uh, he loved it though. So. <laughs> <laughs> you always love it when you're winning. It's a lot easier to deal with that stuff. True. You, you, true. you touched on it earlier, Rob, uh, the adversity you had to overcome that first game against Ramuski in the Memorial cup, uh, obviously on the way to what everybody expected would happen that year, given the regular season we've documented. Can you describe uh, the feeling and what you remember of clinching, capturing that Memorial cup? Yeah, it was, it was amazing. Uh, it was such a, uh, such an amazing year. And we, you know, we were so focused on that, you know, every, right when we got done playoffs, it was, you know, narrow focused on, on making sure we finished off strong and did the job and it could easily be, you know, it's easy to get distracted with that break. Cause we, we, uh, we took out Ottawa in five, we swept the other series. Um, we had a lot of time off. So it was really something for us to kind of narrow focus on and say, you know, we've got th- three more weeks, max stay focused and, uh, finally winning that game was, was, was unreal. Uh, it was surreal. The, the city went nuts. The, the building went nuts. And then we did it in our home city. We got to go out in, in London and enjoy it with the friends and family and the whole city, really. Uh, a couple of days later, there was a parade and we didn't realize how big that was going to be. Um, it turned out to be like 70,000 people for the parade. <laughs> and we it was crazy. So it was, it was awesome. Um, you know, the last game in the final, we won four and awesome. We won, we won that kind of, I wouldn't say easily, but it wasn't too much stress in that game. Like the first game going down three, nothing, that was a little bit stressful. I mean, we never really been in that position and we didn't know how much firepower they're going to keep coming with. So, uh, but the last game we, we took away Crosby's time and space. Dale gave a couple of guys an assignment, uh, Brandon Prust and, and Dylan Hunter got an assignment and not giving him an inch of space. And they did an unbelievable job of doing that. Feel bad for Crosby. <laughs> I'm sure, you know, he didn't get the breeze for a second. And, uh, you know, we, and for me personally, I got to score a goal and I, I finally, I had through the course of the tournament, I had like 40 shots and no goals. And for me, I was a goal scorer that year. So it was getting a bit frustrating. I finally got to snipe Paris set me up like two minutes after three minutes left. He set me up right in the top of the circle and I sniped low blocker. And for me, it was awesome. So I to be able to contribute on the score sheet that way was, was great for me personally. And, um, winning that championship for the, for the London fans was really special. They never had one in the city. He's very passionate about hockey that building was fairly new in the John LeBat Center at the time. So give them something to celebrate with the new building pretty early. You know, after 40 years of waiting, was uh, we felt the celebration and we joined in and it was, it was a great time. Rob, when you requested a trade out of Mississauga, you go to London. You described yourself as a very confident kid in Mississauga and then going to London and Dale taught you to play the right way. We hear that with Dale all the time. You go to London, you're going to learn to play the right way. To you... What is it about Dale's right way that has led to this success? 
Yes, both sides of the puck obviously is a major, major thing. And also understanding time in the game and stuff like that. I, I, you know, there's certain things like part of me was, I, I mean, I'm super competitive, always about winning, but there's also a piece of me that was an entertainer. And sometimes that stuff is, you know, he had to get that out of me a little bit, understanding the game and time and place for things and, and you know, playing both sides of the puck. So, you know, the year before I came in, was I'd only been really, I'd always had the puck. So I was really, I only saw one way of the game. And when I didn't have the puck, I tried to go get it and chase it like a dog. Uh, not that it's a, you know, it's not like I was hanging out at the red line, cherry picking. It was just literally focusing on the right way to play the game. You can't chase the puck like a dog. <laughs> you're leaving <laughs> your assignment open. So when you leave your assignment open, it's a trickle down effect. So opening my eyes to that was really what that meant. Um, and not listening or not hearing it, not understanding it for me was what it was. I, I couldn't understand that. I was like, go get the puck and score. Like, that's how I grew up. It's like the last six, seven years. That's what I've been doing. So, but I didn't realize this, you know, the domino effect of that. So he really was hard on me and, and I got some benchings and uh, hard lessons, but that next year in the Mem Cup year, I played the best hockey I ever played um, both sides of the puck and, and understanding. And then we won the championship. So he was bang on and, and he saw the, the bigger picture and the media picture. He didn't, he wasn't, he's not shy about benching people. It doesn't matter what stage of your career you're in or how old you are or who you are. Um, they always been everywhere and seen everything really long career very respectable career, respectable guy. And like I mentioned a little bit earlier, like when Dale made decisions during the game, they usually paid off. They paid dividends like right away. So he wasn't a guy that you would like, this guy doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. Like he knew what he was talking about. <laughs> so respected his opinion. Uh, harsh lessons at the time as a young kid, eating those lessons was never, you know, it wasn't very easy, but uh, looking back on it, definitely taught me a lot about playing the right way and, and seeing it in, in a different perspective. Another question that I was dying to ask you about playing for Dale Hunter. And, and just so you are, you're aware, Rob, he's our white whale on this podcast. Popey and I are like, we got to get him on sometime. But there, we were just broadcasting a game last weekend. London Make a call Kitchen. for us, will you, Rob? Yeah. Make a call. <laughs> right. Tell Dale we want to talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> but we're, we're broadcasting a game that uh, they call it, what is it now, Popey? The uh, uh, Budweiser Gardens. You love that mm. one. Not John no, Lombardi. Anyway, Arena. and uh, the power play looks like it's the same damn power play just with different personnel. I remember, and I think it might've been the first time I saw a five forward unit in the OHL. I can't be sure. Nonetheless, I'm, how much do you, did you guys practice that? Because the precision that we saw Luke Evangelista score a goal with last weekend was the same thing that we saw with Robbie Shrimp or Corey Perry. Same thing. Yeah, the, the, a lot of the, um, <clears throat> the game is a lot simpler than I think a lot of people make it. Um, the, the nets are in the same place and the shape of the rink is the same size. So there's certain things that are always going to be effective when you're on the five on four and understanding each person understands their piece of the ice and some discipline in it, but also understanding the details in your space of the ice and having a little bit of, you know, having that understanding first. And then the next piece comes when everybody gets that, then the next piece comes with the chemistry. You start learning where to put pucks, where to put passes, how hard to make passes, when you get the puck in, in position A, what are your three options going to be? It's never just one. Um, so it's a very empowering position to be in. Uh, so it, it really, when you watch it, it's like, man, this is easy. It, it's a lot more than that. You know, it takes some some work on it. And again, once you nail it down and kind of reverse engineer it like this, you teach each guy their piece of the ice and you don't, you know, they kind of stay disciplined in that space. They're always going to be where they're supposed to be. It's the one side's the overload. So it's half wall guys, a lefty, he can walk off and shoot from the, you know, his hands are going to be the inside ice. If he's a righty, then his hands would be the outside ice. He's not really a threat. 
the other guy in the goal line is a left-handed guy. So when the puck comes down, he can either walk and snipe or he can walk and go back door or he can walk and go across crease. Um, so that you have these options coming off of it and it's just, you, you can't protect it. Like if each guy has two or three options, like what are you going to do? You only have four guys and there's going to be a crack in your, in your, in your armor eventually. And we'll find it. And that's how they're doing it now. We'll just say, well, I'm not there anymore. But when we were there, that's what it was. Eventually you'll find your crack and you got, you know, you got the guy in the offside who can whip a one-timer. If that guy can't take a one-timer, that changes a lot of the variables because that's, a, that takes away a lot of options for me as a half all guy going cross seam or the guy in the goal line going cross seam. If he can't give it to a good one-timer, then that kind of cancels the fear of the PK. So they always have these pieces and they teach them the right things to do and what their job is, so to speak. And then they go out and just do it. Um, you can see once you get over the blue line, everybody kind of goes to their spot, little piece of the ice and they're all dominant, and that's piece of the ice. When you when you focus it in that position where you only have to be good in this little square, so to speak, it's a lot easier than have to be really good in the whole offensive zone and trying to create to the whole zone. And your piece of the ice, you do X, Y, and Z. Next guy, same thing. Next guy, same thing. So uh, I think that's – I don't know if that's too long of a story, but uh, that's kind of what what the success is of it there. You go to the, and then when we were there, we had a right-hander and a left-hander, which is bananas – we had one A, one and one A. So there was, it was always a fight to who would try to jump over the boards first. It was either Bowen, Perry, and that, you know, with Fritzy or myself, Dylan Hunter, Brandon Prust. And, and uh, Paris played both units because he could one time it, he played the half on the one side and the point on the other. But um, yeah, there's a lot of factors there. These weapons, power play weapons are, uh, Dale knows how to teach it. And he was a PKer. So he really understood the details of, of where to put the, uh, pressure points to the PK and, and how to break it down. So a brilliant mind for that. And um, he taught, taught me a lot about PP and all the guys that got are lucky enough to play for the London Knights really get that, you know, that's a huge advantage to be able to understand a power play fully. Um, Dale teaches it very good. Even if you're not on it and you're watching from the bench, you get to see what the other players are doing. Again, watching that, seeing that uh, you're learning the game and, and learning what it takes to, to be on a power play. If I can say, <clears throat> excuse me, we, after watching the London Power play twice in the last week, that might have been my favorite answer ever on this podcast. Just hearing somebody break it down who had been a part of it. So no, that wasn't too long, and that was. I awesome. feel like I can play that power play now. I'm ready. Put yeah. me in. <laughs> <laughs> but the, you have three options, Farzi. Yeah. Um, on Dale, one more question about Dale because you talked about the whole Pierre Turgeon goal, and Dale tells the story so well, as you say. I'm wondering if you can echo that. We can't get Dale on. We haven't got Dale on yet. Yeah, so I'm wondering yeah. if you can echo Dale's version of the Turgeon goal story for us. I mean, yeah, it's a long story short, but you know, he's, obviously the series was there, where it was at, and the game was uh, was where it was at, and uh, Turgeon scored that goal. And, you know, Dale's excuse was there was no whistle. He's like, I didn't hear a whistle. So I just kept playing. And I mean, mind you, <laughs> watch the hit. The hit's like six seconds later, even if there was, it's the play was still going on. It would have been a late hit. Right. But he said he got it. He knew he hit him hard and whatever scrum happens. Everybody's trying to kill him and he's getting out of the pile. He's actually like the first one of the ref drag him out of the pile first and get him off the ice. The rest of the guys are out there. Getting- <laughs> broken noses and everything in scraps. And you know, the first thing the guys walk in the room, like, what the hell are you doing down? He's like, I didn't hear a whistle. <laughs> so, <laughs> I didn't hear a whistle. Oh, that, yeah, I guess he had a meeting with Gary Bevan the next day or the day after. And that was his excuse. He went in there and, and the, the, uh, the board or the commissioner was just like, they were just stunned by this answer. Like that was what his excuse was, you know, <laughs> and, but, they ended up slapping him with 21 gamer. And, uh, 
that was the longest suspension for a long time. He held the record for, I think, until Bertuzzi got his long one. But once he was a warrior, you know, we saw him in playoffs. It was, that was something we, we really respected a lot, especially when it came playoff time, like the focus that we, he gave us as a team and, and kind of demanded of us. And just the stuff, even like post-game, post-game media stuff, the things he would say in the media to like poke the other team, you know. The one time, I think the boy had cheaters on his skates. He, they were cheaters. Uh, they weren't supposed to have these certain things like uh, notches on their toe caps, so to speak. So like, they're not supposed to have that. Their goalie needed uh, skate sharpening and we caught it and called him on it. The next game, this guy couldn't stay in the net. He didn't have those, those ridges on the blade or ridges on his toe. So we couldn't stop his momentum. He was, he slid out of the net three or four times. It was, but like little stuff like that, Dale picked it up and Dale called it and you know, whatever it takes to win and the playoff time, there's no, you know, uh, again, the media stuff, he's not a big media guy, but when he went in there, he would say, say like strategic things, you know, his quotes were very strategic, whether it's, I don't know about the refereeing or, you know, some chipping some cheap shot. The other team got uh, the other guys, other teams guy would make, or again, this, this call on the goalie, like everything he did was to win the series. And uh, he felt that as a player on the bench. And then, you know, we more times than not, when I was in London, we won the series. <laughs> so <laughs> it was great. You talked about getting your goal in that Memorial Cup final. There's another player whose name has come up a few times in this podcast already, Brandon Prust. As that game was ending, it's in hand. You win. I, I think some of the team might have been coming off the bench at this point, and Prusty's going for an empty netter. Yeah, what? he was awesome too. Right? Like yeah. he was, he went, he went guns blazing on that one. He was, he was full sprint, full tilt. And, <laughs> I remember that now. That was priceless. We had a good laugh about that. We've seen the rerun. I don't know, four or five years ago. We we all watched it together, and it was funny. We never, we none of us realized that even the pressy had a empty breakaway, and he was going full tilt to get there before the clock ran out. Uh, but you know, Presty was an absolute warrior for our team. He was he was a glue guy in the locker room. Uh, he kept everybody together off the ice and got everybody together and bonding. And then when it came to play the game, uh, especially for guys like myself, Paris, he, he always took care of us, protected us, um, eliminated, eliminated that piece of the game for us. So we didn't have to worry about getting bullied. You know, there was, I remember one time specifically we're in, uh, we were in London, but Steve Downey was just absolutely hounding Corey Perry, cross-checking him, punch him in the face. And Paris is like taking it, taking it. He looked over the bench and just, Presty didn't even need him to look at the bench. Presty was already over the bench, got someone to change, went over the bench and went off and took care of Steve Downey. But those things, uh, you know, everybody knew their role, what it was going to take for us to win. And Presty was, was really exceptional at that. He knew when we needed momentum, uh, when one of us was getting taken advantage of, uh, he knew the right time and place for everything. Uh, you know, even the year prior, uh, going against Guelph, he stuck, he stepped up and fought Cam Jansen a couple of times. And that's not an easy scrap. So we all respected the hell out of Presty for what he did for us and, and for what he did for the team. And, the sacrifices he made that that takes a lot of, of guts to step into the, the ring with Cam Jansen and some of these other guys, even, you know, he fought Boris a bunch of times. He fought Clarkson. Uh, who there's other Keith was there and Kitchener. It was, it was tough times back then. There was, you know, that division, there was a lot of meat. There was a lot of tough guys and four or five scraps a game. Really. I don't know if Presty ever turned down a fight in his whole career. No. Maybe like he was never scared of, anyone um, no he had no fear none how was he as a uh, radio morning show co-host we all man we had a blast you know that was really it was awesome for us it, it really kind of got us in the community got us at game day kind of that was in 
big thing for us, getting up in the morning, going there on game day. And that was kind of the start of when we, you know, that's when we started thinking about the game was eight o'clock in the morning. We went on with Big D and Mindy and Gord, um, but also gave us a great leg up in the media space. We were both pretty comfortable talking in front of the mic. Some guys are not. Sorry, my daughter's, my daughter's coming in for a guest appearance. Parenthood, man. Um, we get it. So being on there, we got to, you know, we, me and him, we had a great relationship. We were poking each other back and forth, chirping each other on the show. And then even, you know, going, even teeing the game up to the local fans. Like when we were playing Kitchener, there was always some jabs at whoever Clarkson or, you know, Richie or it was fun. It was a lot of fun. And, and again, that's when the, for us, that's when it kind of started the game day for us. So that was like our routine and um, go to lunch after that show together and then get ready to come to go to battle at seven 30 or seven o'clock whenever the game started. It was, it was a lot of fun. Great people that we got on the show with too. They treated us awesome. Big D, Mindy and Gord were, were awesome people. So, um, a lot of people around the town were like, we love the show. And a couple of times you've crossed the line. <laughs> Probably needed a five second delay, but we were kids and we were kind of, you know, didn't know the boundaries yet. So, but it was a lot of fun. I loved your quote about entertaining the fans before the game, entertaining them on the ice, and then having some entertainment afterwards at Jim Bob's. That's right. <laughs> we had all the demographs. That's right. It's <laughs> London in a nutshell right there. Yeah, that's right. The, the year after uh, the Memorial Cup, Rob, you're with Edmonton and you get sent back to junior. Uh, well, what's it like? It's got to be a little bit disheartening, but you certainly didn't show it. You came back and tore up the league again, 57 goals, I think, that year. But what was going through your mind as you got sent back? Yeah, I was frustrated. I thought I put a, a really good camp together and I was, you know, wanted that took that challenge on to try to make that team. I, I really played well at camp. So I, I was, you know, the media there was writing about it and basically had me pegged on the team, learn my lesson that year to not read anything, um, good or bad. Cause I really bought it that I was going to be on the team and it was disheartening. I got, I got the last cut. I remember being at a team function. Kevin Lowe called me in and it was, you know, super disappointing. It was weird. It was a weird conversation actually, cause it was, uh, we're going to sign you to your entry level contract, but we're sending you back to London. So it was almost like a, I don't know how it went. Maybe even went the other way. We're going to send you down, but we're going to sign you to an elite level contract. I think the term is the old, like slap and tickle. <laughs> so I got slapped <laughs> and then get signed to a contract in the same breath. But I was frustrated and I was coming back to prove a point. Um, and the other thing is David, David Bull and I were, had been on whatever. We, I think it was uh, MSN chat at that point. I don't know what the, what the, what it was back then. I think it was MSN chat and he was chirpy and getting lippy because he was having a really good start to the year. He'd been back earlier than I had. He started the season back in London and he had like a 10 game lead on me. And he had like, I don't know, 30 points in 10 games. So we had that little rivalry going and I kept saying, wait till I get back. I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to catch it. I'm going to catch it. And uh, as I got back, I started lighting it up and I'm like, Hey, you're getting nervous. You're getting nervous. He's like, I got more points. I'm like, yeah, points per game. though. No, check it out. I'm like I'm coming. <laughs> so we had that good rivalry and pushed each other and it wasn't, you know, nothing negative. We, you know, David actually gave me my 57 goal, 57 game. He had a wide open net and he, he you know, gave it off to me in, in respect of, of the fact that it was my 57 and 57 game. So we, we had a great relationship and uh, you know, that good little camaraderie and, and sportsmanship or competitiveness was, it was good for us individually. And it was also good for obviously the London Knights. We were pushing each other to, to, to really uh, have the best of what we could from each other. What was your uh, deal with backup goalies and warm up? Did you not like them or? <laughs> I needed to get dialed in. <laughs> I needed to get dialed in on that one timer and I didn't want to shoot him an empty net. So yeah, I felt bad actually for Mace. 
Mace turned into be a stud, but at that time he was, I mean, Denny played 60, I want to say 63 games that last year. Denny played like almost every game. So it was pretty evident that, that Mace wasn't going to get in and Denny wasn't going to get hurt. So we really wanted that live action and warm up so we can get those, <laughs> those shots out of real goalie. <laughs> and he would have to take 10 of them from my side and then David would have his turn to take 10. You know, that being said, at least we went out in the game and did it. We would then go out in the game and snipe on the one-timers on the power play. So it wasn't all for nothing. Um, you know, they, they, they sacrificed for us. I only hit, I only hit Mason ahead, like maybe in the course of the whole season, three times. I felt terrible about it. And I know he felt terrible about it because his ears were ringing, but uh, he was a great sport about it. And I appreciate that, but I nothing against them. There's more, you know, getting dialed for the game. Good, good team guys, those backup goalies, eh? They good were. Guys. They <laughs> no, no, they're not. Still in water Jeffrey, no, they're not. No, they're not. They're terrible team guys, <laughs> honestly. Uh, speaking of shooting, there is a, um, there's a, I think the legend grows year over year, but you'll, I'm sure you'll pick up where I'm going. A delayed penalty versus the Belleville Bulls. And it goes on, again, the legend grows year over year, but it went on for, almost a buck 45 or so. And, and word on this rumor has it that, that Rob shrimp was not going to pass the puck. Like you were just peppering the puck at the net <laughs> determined, I guess, to score on this uh, delayed penalty. Take us through what you remember of that. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was, well, I remember the start of it right at the beginning of the penalty uh, delayed penalty. Danny Sabret went to pass it back. He almost scored on our own net and it started from there. And then from there we made about, I don't know, 20, probably around 20 passes just kept going. I had two shots on net and it was just, they couldn't seem to get the puck and we just kept making the right passes, making the right passes, getting a scoring chance, making the right pass. It just kept going and going. And then, you know, about a minute or minute 10 into it, you can, as players, you start to feel the crowd. They started getting up and like they were pumped. And I remember coming up the half wall, the last, the last attempt, I came up the half wall. I got a guy to bite on a fake. Susie bit. I'm like, here we go. Boom. I'm going to snipe this. And I actually, to be honest with you, flubbed the shot. I was going shelf because that was, for me, it was kind of like bar down or, or none. And I was going, I was going to go bar down. I kind of flubbed it. It went five hole, but um, the fans went crazy and it was, it was electric. Uh, yeah. It was really cool. The, the way the building started to come to life and you could feel it, feel it, feel it. And then you know, just like we did in that season, finishing off on just on that play, we, you know, things like that, we, we finished things off and we capitalized. So um that was cool. That was really cool. I mean, Mark Mathot made like three or four sauce passes through the box. Again, not in his cup or not in his toolbox usually. He's usually flat on the ice and missile passes and trotters out there throwing sauce. <laughs> We're like, the boys are getting pumped, you know? So it was uh, it was a really cool experience. And, and, yeah, those memories are some of the things that make that year so special. Rob, obviously first overall in the OHL draft, uh, Memorial Cup, Team of the Century, first NHL goal, first NHL game, all that stuff. What is the highlight of your career, do you think? Or is it being a member of the Daiquiri Five? <laughs> That's tough. And you put me in a tough decision here. But there's, there's so many. The Dak Five were a great crew. We had a blast in Atlanta. Um, yeah, there, there's a great guys. We had a great memory there and on the road trip. And saw Clinton. Uh, was Clinton. I want him to say his name wrong. Malarkey. Malarchuk, yeah. Malarchuk, yeah. Clint Malarchuk joined us for a little while, so it was, it was a great day. But I, I can't say the DAC 5 would, would top the Mem Cup in London. London <laughs> days where everybody tried to chirp after. Because even you know, after going pro and stuff, the next five or six years, we all spent the summers there in London. And 
everybody, even when we go to our pro teams, guys are like, cut the cord, man. It's just, just so special. It's going back there is like going home and community, everything. The guys still living it up when we were 24, 25 and having, you know, those, the local people always coming up with memories of that Mem Cup year. So it was really tough to get away from there. I know I don't get back there much now, which is sad, but um, we, we lived there for a long time after and, and really we love that city. They really embraced us all. So felt like a second home to most of us. Can you explain the DAC five for anyone who doesn't know? DAC five is, it was a group of us in Atlanta that we went up for, for was supposed to be just a little lunch and it turned out to be like a six or seven hour lunch and we were drinking <laughs> daiquiris and it was like these five NHL guys sit at the bar, just howling. And we, it was one of those things too in Atlanta, things weren't going that great. So it was just, what, it was a day for us to have great laugh, great memories, shooting, you know, shooting whatever about different stories and stuff, but nothing earth shattering, so to speak, but that day sticks out in our mind. We always mess each other once in a while, like DAC five, and we always get a response or a rise out of each other from it. So, um, yeah, it was something, a fond memory in Atlanta. It wasn't there long, but that day really stuck out, stuck with me for a long time. So a bunch of beauties. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris just outlined so many of the accomplishments and wonders about, you know, big moments, the things that stand out to you, the eight point game versus St. Mike's must stand out to some degree. Was that one of those games where everything's just going in for you? Yeah. And the game was a little chippy too. Um, that, that's another part of it. You know, we usually, we, we weren't, uh, that was one of those games where we ran it. I was like 14, six It was a ball hockey game, but it was 14 because we were pissed. Like they started doing stuff that was not right. You know, running guys and, doing cheap shots. So they just kept giving us power plays and Dale kept putting out the first unit. So, and then the other piece of that was too, it was right in the middle, Bolsey and I chirping each other and I, I chucked up an eight point night. I mean, he wound up having five or six himself, but I'm like, buddy, I get a couple more of these and I'm going to be right there with you. So um, it was, a, yeah, it was a good game. And actually I remember it vividly too, because I could have had two or three more goals, but AJ Perry, he was, he was a really good net front guy, but I, kept, I always chirp him and be like, man, you're stealing my goals. Some of these shots that he would get tipped from, they were absolutely going in on their own. And Juice is just standing there with a stick, hits a stick and goes in. I'm like, man, I didn't need you there. <laughs> but two or three of them that game he stole from me. We always laughed about it. And uh, yeah, he was an awesome guy, but we could have, could have had a few more goals. So eight points is eight points. And it was, it was an accomplishment and doing it in the OHL, um, is, is nothing to, you know, not be proud of, but it was it's a, such a good league. So to put up eight points, so I, was, I was proud of it, but also climbing that ladder of the leaderboard and the points and winning games with the Knights, it was, it was all rolling at that point. As somebody who was so skilled with the puck and used to be able to, well, still can pick it up lacrosse style and just, you know, do stuff that no one else can do really. When you came to London, did Dale ever tell you, don't ever try that crap in a game? <laughs> yeah, well, the first game I got to London, I actually – uh, there was a play I was coming up. If, the, if we're looking at the net and the nets here, I was going up towards the blue line and I was on my backhand and I saw a lane back door for the D to go. The only thing was that there was four guys in the middle of the ice, but I saw the lane. So I'm like, I'm screaming. I'm like, go, go. And the guy went and I saw us pass this puck over all four players heads and it landed right on Adam Nemes tape back door. And I got back. To the bench and like, no, never do that again. And I'm like, <laughs> I mean, it worked. <laughs> it worked. So like stuff like that. He's like, this will never work in the NHL. You know, he was kind of, there was another time I, I remember vividly, I had 29 goals on the season and a face-off play, it was a face-off and somehow their coverage just absolutely, they blew the coverage horribly. They all skated out and I was standing right in the slot by myself and I'm like, holy crap, by myself. So I flipped the puck up in the air and tried to bat it out of the air back in in the net and I missed it. And he came to me the next day in practice. He's like, Trimpy, I, I don't like that stuff. 
personally. But what I'll say to you, so maybe you learned the lesson is you want to be a 30 goal scorer or 29 goal scorer? Hi, sweetie. Hi. You want to say hi? Thank you. Thank you. I wanted to take this. You want to take that? Okay. <laughs> okay. All right, buddy. We'll be right out, okay? okay. We're, keep, we're oh. keeping dad long today, Pope. Nah, yes. <laughs> I love it. The human side, man. I love yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. She's hilarious. But uh, yeah, Hunty just gave me that speech. It was like, that. that's the kind of stuff that, you, you know, you want 30 goals, you want 29. You, you can't be screwing around, even if the game's 7-1 or 7 nothing. Um, made sense. But for me, it was always an inner thing of like entertainment. You know, we're up 7-1. It's not like it's... I think we would have done it at 2-1 or 3-1 anyways, too. Just to, you know, I felt confident enough to do it, but he had a point and I understood it and had to learn to respect it. So now the game's kind of going a little bit, not so much all the way that way, but you see a lot more of the skill stuff coming and the kind of the old school mentality of the flashy stuff, whatever you want to call it. Um, you see the goals like the Sveshnikov now it's, it actually, these kind of things make sense. Like how else would you score from behind the net? So it gives you an extra element to, to do it. Um, but you see the, the old guard still is kind of gets their fur up a little bit and they're rattled by it. Cause it's different and new and went back when I was doing that stuff in that era, <laughs> in that era, it was all new and it was like hot dogish. But um, yeah, I, I, that, I always had that piece of me, but for me growing up, Michael Jordan was a huge piece of, of my youth and watching him dominate and also entertain at the same time was something I kind of, that's something I always wanted to be able to do is be a, a, you know, the best player I possibly could be and also be an entertaining player. So in hockey, it's not that easy to be an entertainer. Um, but it definitely was a piece that I wanted to do and, and Dale wasn't having it. Opie's <laughs> <laughs> pointing at me because I'm definitely the old guy in this crew. I listen, I can stop short of the lacrosse style goal. I'm sorry. I can't take it in hockey, Rob. I can't, can't do it. Cause you can't do it, Mike. It's all <laughs> <laughs> among so many other things. You're absolutely right. It, it makes me think though, uh, because there's all this talk and you would have been playing in the era of, a lot of that talk still where the North American game is so much different than the European game. And there's so much more focused on skill in Europe. So when you transitioned over to Europe to the tail end of your career, did you get a chance to go back to some of that original Robbie Shrimp? Yeah. And I, well, I actually didn't. Then I got in trouble again because my coach was <laughs> Elf Samuelson. <laughs> he played, you played, you know, whatever, 20 or 15 to 20 years in the show. Oh, I think everybody knows well. Samuelson is an heck of a career. And he was more of a hard-nosed guy as well, pretty physical. You know, you remember some of the stuff, Cam Neely, uh, Dai Domi run-ins. So uh, I got into a shootout at the end of the year. And the way it works is, like, there's a set number. Eight teams make the playoffs. And then there's, like, nine and ten. Nine through 12 play, like, a play-in. Um, the bottom two teams play a, a round to see if they who gets relegated. So, anyways, long story long on that. But – we had already clinched the playoff spot at eighth and the team that we were playing had clinched their position as well. So we had a shootout at the end of the game and I figured this is no better time than now for, for a nice little flare. And I came down and picked it up on my stick and I had the goalie burn, man. He, he like did something weird with a stick, like kind of like put it out, gave me all the blocker. I hit the elbow of the net and how it didn't go in still blows my mind. Hits the elbow and almost hits me right in the face, caught the puck. And I get back to the bench. He's, he's just—he's almost screaming at me. He's like, I'm like, come on, come on, it's a big deal. And so then the way it works in the shootout there is like the three guys go, and then you can go back to the top of the order. So as I got back to the top of the order, he's like, I was like ready to go. He's like, sit down. He's like, you're not going again. <laughs> so he threw out—he threw out our like 
uh, I don't know how to put it. Like our simple defenseman, Olaf Tolson, who's a good player, but he wasn't a shootout guy by any means. He put Tolly in my spot. Tolly ended up going out and scoring, which was good, but uh, he wouldn't let me go back out again. <laughs> <laughs> so. That's great. I, I mentioned earlier that I texted Denny. He just got back to me, so I have to read it here to you. Ask him for any stories. He said, I can't tell you any that would that could go on the air. Nobody had more fun. <laughs> Nobody had more fun playing than Shrempy. Love the game and love to score goals. Every practice was a battle. I know Denny was a competitive person, hated being scored on in practice, even if it was like the fourth rebound. Do you remember some of those battles? Oh yeah, hundred percent. That's you know, he's dead on. So that you know, that's the kind of stuff too, the character side of guys that were on that team. Everybody was a competitor, practices were super competitive. Um we, brought, we all brought out the best in each other. You know, it was impossible to one-on-one with Dan Girardi is impossible. Walking off the half wall and trying to snipe on Denny after he sees you every single day in practice, it was, it was hard. So we really brought the best out of each other. And, and then when we got to play against other teams, like you're playing, like you said, the ro- like you've seen our roster, playing one-on-one and doing drills and practice with these types of players every day, going against a team, most teams didn't have what we had. So it felt like, I don't want to say a cakewalk because that's kind of rude, but it wasn't as challenging. Say it that way. Um, so that's, that was a big, big thing about that being on the ice surface every day with each other, that, that type of group, that stacked of a team, so to speak, uh, really brought out the best in every single player from top down first line guys, to the fourth line guys, you know, fourth line guys, PK and against our power play, um, that made them better. You know, they saw things they wouldn't see from other teams. So the other teams were doing basic stuff. They, they had no stress. They were like, this is simple. Like, you know, Paris is doing toe drags and going shelf. Shrimpy's walking off the half wall, ripping clappers. Like other teams weren't as scary to them as what they had at their own practice. So again, it made the team really, really strong and, and a lot of, you know, built, built up from, from the ground up. So. You're in uh, high demand as a dad, as we have this conversation here right now, <laughs> but I, I want to get a chance to talk about 44 vision hockey and, and what it is you're doing now. How did it come about? Started working with some pro guys, my an old agent, my Papaloni. He's like, Trippy, you got to check out this system. And he sent me the system of Instat. And I started playing around on it and it had these diagrams that you can use to kind of diagram clips and started putting my vision of the game into some of these clips and seeing, you know, find guys that made some, I wouldn't say errors, but some things I thought they could have done differently to get in situ- you know, certain situations, especially power play. Uh, from there, I got about four pro guys from the Czech Liga and I started doing individual stuff with them and doing clips. And I really enjoyed it. I got a couple uh, clips for, for Patty Kane and he gave me some great feedback doubts and pairs. All three of those guys, I did some clips for them and they, they really gave me great feedback, honest. And, and they thought the stuff was very good, helped them. So from there, I kind of realized, you know, if I can help that level of player, this can help a lot of players. Um, and I want to have a big impact on the game. So I started digging into my network, calling people, see if they want to be a part of this. And I built, uh, I built out a team of about 30 coaches and they've all had the great experience in the game. And a big side of it that I'm, I'm really passionate about is the women's side of the game as well. So I called some Olympic team members and some NWHL players and uh, got the women's side of it built out as well so they can help develop the growth of the game through game film. Uh, we can't obviously be everywhere at once. So how could we be everywhere in, in some regard? It's this way. If any player has game film, uh, we can we can use that and we can diagram their clips, make you know video clips for them in a library. And they get to learn from these game situations what the you know what the details are and you know say if we go to the power play talk I can I can help a half wall guy I can help most guys after learning all that stuff from Dale and London I know on every position on what it takes to be successful in that square of the ice if you're a net front guy I didn't play there but I played with some great ones um, with, especially Ryan Smith in Edmonton learned a lot from him just watching him at practice and how he how he kind of you know 
how he was in that front, how he took that space and what he did in that space. Um, so those kind of things, kind of using that experience, that knowledge, we work with the players one-on-one. They get a library. We build their clips from their game film. So it's not like I'm sending him a clip of, you know, a top NHL player and say, see what this player does. It's more like you're watching their game, see what they're doing. And then we give them that information from high level. Like here's what it takes to succeed on a two-on-one. Here's how you get a guy stick to turn or, you know, how to improve your shot angle and get more net. These little details, these kids are, it's really landing well. Um, and once I started getting the feedback of positive, you know, positive feedback, it was really gratifying. And it, it was all, it was kind of a theory in the beginning and now it's become proved, you know, proved the theory out and the results are starting to come in. So I love it. And it gives me a chance to kind of spread the, the knowledge that I gained over my long career and um, get to work in the game in a, in a unique way and do it with a bunch of people that I had great experiences through my, through my career and, and run into where I played with them or meeting up or wherever the case may be, all the coaches on the platform, I know them pretty well and, and I'm happy to have them on, proud to have them on. So the other piece of it was too, is that I was a very offensive player. Obviously when I played, I, I don't think that I'm so to speak for everybody. So I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of opportunity to be able to come on the platform and have different types of coaches. I wanted coaches from different walks of the game and different experiences in the game. And I think that's very valuable to see different perspectives of the game. So this isn't, Rob Shrimp's platform. This is, you know, I built the platform, but it brought different variables of the game to the platform. So those resources are there for, for anybody that comes to it. Um, so again, if you want a high, you know, highly offensive, you know, clips or how to create offense, I can do that. If you wanted, you know, defensive help, you get guys like Danny Savret, Freddie Meyer on that, that do those sort of things. Glenn Metropolitan on the platform, he play like a third, fourth line when he was in the show. So we can teach that sort of part of the game, penalty kill. Um, again, go to the women's side, Amanda Pelkey, Brianna Jenner, uh, some really high, high level girls um, give their perspective from there at the peak of the women's game, you know, the Olympic team members and uh, playing at the PWHPA. So there's, so I think there's a lot of value in that. And that's, that's where I kind of got the idea for it. And that's what the system is. So uh, get back to the game and try to do it in a big way. I've watched a couple of the videos and for anyone listening or watching to this podcast, please go check it out. I, I just found it on your Twitter shrimpy, but the breakdowns of like the McDavid goals that he just scored, stuff like that, the power play breakdowns you have is next level stuff. And then when you can bring in coaches from like third and fourth line backgrounds and they're teaching third and fourth line guys how to, you know, continue that career. I just love the platform and I love the idea. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's great. Uh, This is normally the time in the podcast where Farzi says, okay, we'll let you go, but Popey's got one more because I tend to have at least one more (laughs) question. So, um, not a lot of people listen to this podcast or watch it. So don't worry about telling us the truth on this story, but you talked about your time in London and only getting $50 a week and $10 for gas, but how much were you getting from that construction company? You wow. know what I mean? Wow. <laughs> no, we were, we were strapped. We were, we were at the, that team was built from the ground up and you know, that's me. I get tripped about that all the time. I'm like, buddy, I, if, if I got money, I didn't see it. And if our family got money, they didn't see it. So um, it was, it was to the team and they're frugal, uh, businessmen. And I'm, I don't mind saying that and Dale and Mark are super cheap. Um, <laughs> that's when I remember getting the taxing and it was 10 bucks a week or something. It wanted to be in seven. I went to I'm like, Mark, what is this shit? What is this? I'm like, he's like, that got to pay taxes. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like we can barely get bought like 10 bucks, man. Like you just seriously, like we're going to fight over this. Like you're going to take this off or and even if the government takes off, you're not going to put it back. Like at that time we had no money, man. 50 bucks a week didn't go bucks. anywhere, you know? Yeah. So we were, yeah, we weren't getting anything extra under the, under the table. It was, it was straightforward and 
nobody was rolling in it. The only guy really rolling in it was Fritchie because he played in the show the year before. He, was, he had his sign bonus and everything. So the rest of us were bums. We were trying to, you know, sort of uh, budget our money and see what we had in case we got a, we got a free night on Sunday night. We can go and get some pizza and wings. <laughs> you know, that was about it. Yeah, 50 bucks is gone. Yeah. yeah. One, night one, night at, one night at Jim Bob's and you broke. Boom. Gone. Yeah. <laughs> gone. <laughs> I'd like it to was, apologize again for my third string has been, never was goaltending co-host here. Shrek. It's <laughs> uncalled for Popey. That's absolutely called for. He <laughs> says he gets chirped for it all the time. Every London night does. You get one on, you got to ask him. Always. Obviously jokingly. Yeah, we they built something special there. Everybody wants to go there. You know, everybody wants to be there now. It's, it's a building where the fans are phenomenal. The setup is phenomenal. The way you treat it is phenomenal. You know, it's, it gives you – Dale's got a great – one, it's a great pipeline with, with this NHL scouts. It's right in the middle of everything. You know, on the way to Windsor, way to Detroit or Michigan and all those teams, Kitchener, Guelph, uh, there's so many teams close by. So, so many scouts for it to London games always. So, it's, it's such a central located, but um, everybody wants to go to London. It's a great experience. You're going to get a pro experience. The fans, the team, the management, everything, they treat you like a pro. So, and they win, you know, most of the time they're winning games. So it's, it's a fun place to be. We know you have to go. We know you have to go be a dad to your daughter. Who's made a guest appearance on this podcast. Is she skating yet? <laughs> no, no. Yeah. We, well, last year we had the lockdown. There's no rinks available. And this year has been a struggle to get in there as well. So she's uh, she hasn't put a big interest in it. Obviously she hasn't really seen me play hockey. To be honest with you. I retired. She was six months old. So she hasn't really seen me as a hockey player, as a dad. Um, she doesn't even know what that means. So. I'm kind of hiding all this from her. <laughs> well, we'll send her a link to the podcast. She'll love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, regardless of what she does, she'll, she'll have sick hands. That's for sure. That's what we're working on. <laughs> Absolutely. Rob, thanks a million for taking time to do this. It's been a lot of fun here. Oh, it's been great. No problem, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for thinking of me and anything I can do in the future, let me know. And uh, it was great. It was a great conversation. I appreciate you guys reaching out. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.